Welcome to the Money Wise Women Show, brought to you by MoneyMorphosis.com. Are you ready to be inspired to upgrade your financial skills? Listen to feminine leaders sharing practical advice and valuable insights. Shift your money mindset, improve communication skills, and learn financial management tips. Although we do not provide investment advice, you can check out MoneyMorphosis.com. That's money-m-o-r-p-h-o-s-i-s.com to find simple ways to boost your true wealth. Hello, everyone. It is Crystal Arnold, your hostess of the Money Wise Women Show. So glad to be on today um, with our guest, uh, Levy Joy. Um, such a pleasure to um, introduce her. I first want to um, prepare everyone to shift your whole perspective around money. And uh, so I invite people, as you're listening, uh, to maybe go ahead and grab a notebook. And then uh, she also has a great experiential exercise if you want to grab your wallet or stash of cash um, to have with you for that portion. Um, What is amazing about uh, this woman is uh, her ability to both think in whole systems, permaculture uh, terms about the economy and value, as well as also really having an uh, intimate understanding of personal transformation. And she's uh, a very skilled facilitator and um, truly just... um, is is very inspiring. I think you will love her unique perspective. So Levy Joy is a polymath change agent, a permacultural enthusiast, a dancer, priestess, systems analyst. She is a conduit of evolutionary feminine leadership as well as a cultural midlife midwife. She is composting the current dominator fear-based colonial imperial paradigm and cultivating a cooperative, mystery-loving, interconnected, regenerative one instead. And I know you will love her perspective. And um, so welcome, Levy. And I would love to end by hearing from you more about what exactly is a polymath and why is it so important? Hi, Crystal. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm so excited. Um, And hello, everybody out there. Thank you very much for listening. Time is one of our most precious commodities. And so I'm just so appreciative that you are choosing to spend this hour with us today. Um, So a polymath Literally, poly means many and math means studies. And so it means a person who studies a lot of different things. Sometimes it's called a person who loves learning just for the sake of learning. Um, From a perspective of where we're at now and our cultural paradigm, we're in a place where the Industrial Revolution has really rewarded people for specializing and for only looking at what they're doing right in front of them and performing their specific 
cog in the wheel kind of function. Um, as opposed to in other times when being able to understand how this piece relates to that piece relates to that piece. Somebody like da Vinci who was interested in, you know, the physics as well as biology and understood that, you know, looking at animals, you could understand more about flight. So that's why being a polymath, being somebody who has a wide range of interests, um, is in a position to really understand how systems connect. Um, and so I invite everybody out there who is feeling like you have a bazillion different interests to allow yourself some freedom, give yourself some permission to to explore whatever your impulses bring you to because they can bring unlock some really amazing perspectives and we each have our own genius. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I could imagine how that is so helpful in all the tools and resources you bring to the group work and the strategic design and everything that you're involved with. Um, So we met through uh, Leora, who is um, one of the founders of Gaia University, and wonder if you wanted to tell listeners just briefly about the project you're working on with her. Yes, I'm so excited. So at the Permaculture Convergence this year, I had the opportunity to connect with Leora, and she was telling me about this project that Gaia University um, has embarked upon with the support of Lush Cosmetics Company, which is looking at how to grow almonds here in California in a more water-wise way that actually helps create soil health instead of degenerating it. Um, And so they're actually doing some research um, within Gaia University right now about how to make that happen. And Leora and I are actually working on a business model on how to bring some of those solutions, particularly around growing actual almond tree stock, in nurseries that will be an amazing business model that will hopefully seed other businesses, be a kind of Mondragon slash Ace Hardware hybrid, um, eventually looking at it being a worker-owned collective, cooperative, and seeding other permaculture-based businesses um, around creating more what the word regenerative um, agriculture as opposed to industrial agriculture. Mm. Oh, I love that. It's it's such an important time to uh, redesign the way that we do business and uh, just love the cooperative um, owned uh, models. That's really, um, really powerful. You know, so you let's talk a little bit about permaculture. You know, um, a lot of people um, hear that word and and maybe just think it's about gardening and agriculture. And uh, as we both know, it's actually about um, how systems work and uh, and can be applied to our social systems as well. And so um, I'd love to hear your your take on um, permaculture and uh, in particular how how it will build greater resilience and, and awesome. what that looks like. Yeah. Yeah. So, and first of all, and this is something that didn't come up in our previous conversations, but I just wanted to give a nod to the fact 
that, you know, permaculture was started by a couple of, it was, the word was coined by a couple of men in Australia, um, you know, about 40 years ago. And really, though, many of the things that we use in permaculture um, are indigenous wisdom practices. And so I just want to give a nod to of, of respect and honor to all of the people out there who are still doing these practices because they are part of their lineage and part of their indigenous wisdom. And we as Westerners are now just kind of waking up to like, oh, wow, the things, the way that we've been doing things is kind of screwing everything up. Um, let's, let's look at some other models. Um, and so that critique of, of permaculture sometimes comes up, and I just wanted to speak to that um, and say that I'm I'm still really excited to actually work within the permaculture model because it does it is a design system and once you kind of get familiar with the language and that perspective you can then be working in the same frame the same mindset as as other folks and permaculture what really excites me about it is that it, there are three ethics the permaculture ethics and they're around earth care people care. And then the third ethic at first was called returning the surplus. And then one of the founders said, hmm, it's really more about fair share. And then my permaculture teacher, Starhawk, actually came along and shifted it again to call it future care. And the way that I like to phrase it is fair share and future care. And so if we look at those three ethics, and we can kind of map them directly onto the sustainability Venn diagram, those three interlocking circles that you see. Um, and there's, you know, the environment, the earth care, and then the people care, what's known as the social sphere in the, in the sustainability Venn diagram. And then fair share future care is the economy. And it's the way that we do fair share future care gets expressed as our economy. Um, and so permaculture has these ethics. And ideally, if you're a permaculturalist, when you're designing a system, you always check in, like, is this taking care of all of these three pillars? And then from there, you move to principles. And there's some pr amazing principles like stacking functions and observe like long, thoughtful, protracted observation that you don't immediately just go in and start fixing things, that all parts of the system provide input for other parts so there is no waste, um, that you're always harvesting, that something, that some, something coming out of the system is always useful. Um, and those are just some of the principles. And then from there you can go to strategies, which are your zones, um, and there's amazing ways to apply all of these things, like you were saying, not just to earthworks, but to organizations, to family life, to how we do our people environments, our, our systems designs um, in the way that we come together and work on projects. And yeah, so that's that's where I'm really excited. Um, and, you know, there's the idea of zones in permaculture. And zone one is all the things that you touch every day. And so we talk about designing, you know, your environments, so that the things that you need and that you want every day are right within your reach. And then so there's the, now the concept of zone zero, which is yourself. 
and starting with zone zero. And that's where you said earlier about the personal transformation piece. So even within the permaculture movement right now, there are people out there who are writing books and doing workshops about, you know, how do you tend zone zero and how do you take all of these um, principles and the ethics and actually integrate them into your internal landscape as well. And yeah, so it's a little bit and there's so much more. I highly encourage folks to um, check out social permaculture. You can Google that. There's um, a woman named Pandora and then there's Starhawk. Those are two amazing social permaculture teachers if you want more resources on that. Mm, That is such a great nutshell of it it really is such an amazing body of work and so many people have taken it and uh, and run with it and applied it in different ways and uh, you know I, I think as we both know uh, things are changing so quickly um, in the world in people's personal lives um, that this this idea of resilience really is um, necessary that we're not you know, sustainable was a good term, and yet I much prefer this sense of how do we respond intelligently to changing conditions, whether it's um, having resilient system structures or having uh, our own personal resilience. And so um, I, I'd love to hear from you kind of um, about your history and why resilience is so important to you. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, resilience, you know, it's a bit of a buzzword. Um, there, and I don't think that's a bad thing. There's sometimes when, you know, I think people latch on to concepts um, and resilience is one once upon a time in my life, I was a psychotherapist, and I worked um, a lot with kids um, and kids in foster care and really saw the impacts of trauma in early life. And one of the reasons that I even got into doing psychotherapy is because I read, I think, Daniel Goleman's book, um, Emotional Intelligence, and that was one of the first um, clues around resiliency in childhood and the ability of our bodies. Um, You know, I think maybe that was the book where I first heard the term um, psychoimmunoneurology, Um, you know, that our bodies have these complex feedback systems when it comes to processing events and how they manifest as, as physical illnesses um, in some cases, um, how they manifest as what we know as mental health disorders, um, particularly PTSD, um, and really disable a person from responding to their environment in that thoughtful way that that you know um observe that the ability to observe really a person who is traumatized is, is robbed in some cases of that ability because they go into the limbic system fight or flight i'm sure your audience is familiar with that um and so resilience the ability to respond as opposed to react 
And so many things are changing right now so quickly, and we really are teetering on this precipice in so many ways of, okay, is this transition just going to be awkward and maybe we'll step on each other's toes a little bit, but we will make it to the other side? Um, Or is it going to be really disastrous and, and painful the way it is in some parts of the world right now for all of us? Um, and so I'm here on this planet to help make sure that it's just slightly awkward and we step on a few toes, but eventually make it out to the other side without a whole lot of misery and cultivating resilience within each of our own selves. Um, and then within our systems. So again, starting with that, with ourselves and then looking at how we can cultivate this resilience within our systems and our organizations and their ability to adapt and respond to changes is super important. And part of that, and bringing this into the economy, is you know how do we as, as individuals and then as families and then as communities um, learn how to adapt and respond, potentially even create alternative systems that allow resilience for fluctuations hiccups, and possibly even, you know, big disastrous collapses in our economy. So that's that's a little bit mm. about it. Yeah. Yeah, that really um, ties into um, discussing what, you know, our current economic system and the design of it and the consequences of that, because it is not very resilient at all. And uh, would just love to hear your thoughts on why we need uh, a shift out of the current economic system. Mm-hmm. So I often use the metaphor of the Titanic, and the Titanic is is in many ways going down. <laughs> um, yeah. The the monolithic economic system that we're in, um, yeah. So, all right, I want everybody out there to take a big deep breath. Because I'm going to drop some knowledge that might be a little hard to understand if you have not been exposed to it yet. However, I assure you that every time you hear it, it will begin to make more and more sense. So the large majority of the money that we use in our daily lives, 97% of that money is created as debt. That means that when that money is created, also created with it, is the promise of interest, that somebody has to pay back interest on that money. No money ever created to pay that interest back. What this means is that more trees need to become paper, more relationships, need to become transactions in order to create the money to pay back the interest. So we are living in a system, and Charles Eisenstein talks about this, where we are constantly commodifying, needing to commodify more and more of our planet in terms of our relationships and our natural resources in order to pay back the interest on the money that was created. And right now, the only people in the world who have 
the official license to create money are banks. And the large majority of those banks are privately held institutions. There are public banks in the world, and we can talk about that more if you want to actually work for the Public Banking Institute for a little while. But most of the banks in the world are private institutions where shareholders reap the rewards of everybody else on the planet having to scuttle and scurry to create value, more and more value, create more and more money from the natural resources to pay back that interest. So remember I talked about that, those three interlocking circles in the sustainability Venn diagram. You can imagine that our culture right now, our economic system, is not just an extraction one. Um, many folks talk about an extraction economy where we are constantly extracting, like I gave the example of trees, um, turning them into paper to turn into money. And I don't just mean paper money. I mean you know businesses who turn, you can also say, turning palm trees into palm oil or you know turning natural things into commodities. And then on the other side, you know, instead of uh, you're living with your extended family and having child care that way, now all of a sudden, you know, we pay for child care, we pay for elder care, we've commodified all of these relationships to create money. Those three circles, the economy circle is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger because it is siphoning off of the environmental circle and the social circle. So right now, we literally have all of these hedge funds and derivatives that equal nine times, at last count, the global GDP. We have more funny money than we do actual value in our planet because of this system. It is not sustainable. It is not sustainable. <laughs> and so how do we unplug how do we create alternate systems? Every little thing we can do to unplug one of those little hoses from that siphon and actually plug it into a different system that is regenerative, that is in balance, that is considering fair share future care, that's considering how do we build health and wealth in our soil and in our families, we will my idea, hopefully, is that we will shrink that economy bubble back down to its right place in right relation with the other three spheres, that there's nothing necessarily inherently evil about money, that it's a technology that's, you know, pretty amazing, um, and that we will put it in right balance with everything with the other two spheres. So that's a little bit. And a good resource if you want to learn more about debt and the creation of money and how money actually became the technology that it is, I highly recommend the work of David Graeber, who's actually an anthropologist, um, who blows the lid off of the myth that we went from a barter system to a currency accounting system. Um, there's no anthropological, anthropological evidence of that, um, what, which is taught in traditional economics classes. Um, he goes into great detail looking at anthropological studies about how, quote, money and currency is done in different ways all around the world and has been for a long time. And 
where the notion of debt and interest um, came from and how it's affected our our culture. And so he has a huge book called Debt the First 5,000 Years. You can also find some of his lectures, though, um, uh, if you prefer to have a shorter condensed version by audio. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that is a brilliant book. It really is. So important to, um, you know, it's like we're fish swimming in water and sometimes it's hard to tell that the water is polluted because that's all we know and yet it may be negatively affecting us as I believe the current monetary system has caused incredible personal suffering. I mean, I just see people um, all the time when they open up about their relationship with money, they've internalized so much of these um, myths that are uh, connected with the very design of the the monetary system, things like mm-hmm. uh, the scarcity mindset, there's never enough, you know, uh, fundamental belief that more is better and that endless growth equals success and progress. And so I feel like really um, taking on that elephant in the room about how money is created and um, and starting to use our imagination of like, well, what would a more uh, a better system look like for us? And uh, and and I'm so inspired. Both of us know many people working on that um, bigger meta level of. Uh, there's a great group called the Real Economy Lab that you can look up online and uh, and see mapping of all the different sectors where people are like <clears throat> looking at community currencies and the public banking and uh, and so I really uh, yeah I think it's important for people um, even if you're not an economist like me to just you know take a glimpse at at this kind of what this system is because it has not always been this way and it is um it is in fact a sacred system i do like to to um just bring back that perspective that our exchange is sacred because we do need one another and um and so to actually um be able to shift our own energetic perspectives around money and currency um, is definitely important in the transitions that are happening now. Um, So I think now would be, actually, let's take um, just a short break. And then when we get back from the um, uh, announcement here, we will, um, I'd love to have you share those exercises. um, Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, okay. so get your wallets, get your cash. Yeah, yeah. Go grab your money. Here we go. Okay. Are you one of millions of women paying unnecessary bank fees and painfully high interest? Really, aren't the bankers rich enough? Don't let your hard-earned money disappear without enjoying it. Find out how at discoveryourtruewealth.com. Take simple, practical steps to better manage your finances. Breathe a sigh of relief because you will gain greater confidence with your money in this free training. Because you deserve to nurture yourself, not hand over more money to the banks. When you plug those money leaks, more resources are available to create a vibrant future. Register now for this exclusive training at discoveryourtruewealth.com. 
We are back with our guest, Levy Joy, and she is about to share a very interesting uh, exercise with you around money. Take it away. Thank you, Crystal. All right, so hopefully everybody out there had the opportunity to go grab their wallet or their, um, I was joking around, their envelope in their underwear drawer, wherever you keep your cash. Um, And, yeah, pull out one bill, um, whatever calls to you or happens to be the easiest. And we're going to take it in our hands. And, you know, so far, all of the money um, has these pictures of men on it, which is interesting. Um, And so just, you know, take a moment right now to just look at the face of that person on that bill. And then I want you to just close your eyes for a second. And take a big, deep breath. And now with your eyes still closed, I want you to begin to feel the bill between your fingers. There's actually some amazing technology that goes into creating these that they can't be counterfeited. See if you can feel the differences in the texture, especially if you have a $100 bill in your hand. See if you can just feel how this is different than normal paper. And now I'm going to ask you to Hold it up to your nose and smell it. There's a specific smell sometimes. Maybe it smells like that smell of money. Or maybe it smells like cologne because it was in somebody's pocket who had it before you, who wore a lot of cologne. Maybe it doesn't smell very good at all. but it carries with it through its smell all of these stories of where it's been. Like I said, maybe you just got it out of the ATM or out of the bank and it's brand new and it just has that fresh smell and it has a whole trajectory in front of it yet. And now... Like you take another big deep breath. I'm going to ask you to actually gently caress the side of your cheek with the bill. And just notice what it's like for you to be engaged in this kind of gentle, loving touch piece of American currency. Maybe it's easy. Maybe you have some fears around germs. Maybe it really brings up a lot of stuff for you. Like, why would I want to be 
gentle and lovey with this thing. Or maybe it's really awesome and you're like, yeah, I love this $100 bill. I got it from my grandpa. I'm just noticing everything that's coming up for you. And taking another big deep breath. And coming back again to opening your eyes and looking again at that face on the bill. Imagining what might be going through that person's mind. They're a leader, right? They're a leader of our country at one point in time. What kind of hopes and dreams they had for society, for themselves, and for their communities. Maybe there's somebody who you personally look up to. Or maybe there's somebody who you think, meh, that person actually didn't do so great. Meh, they kind of fucked us up. (laughs) So, whatever judgments, whatever stories you have about the person on that bill, just being real with it in this moment. Like, yep, and this this is the person who I look at every time I handle one of these bills. And this is what I think about, or this is what my subconscious <laughs> thinks about that I'm just thinking about now for the first time, consciously. And taking another big deep breath and folding the bill over, noticing that on the other side it does say, in God we trust. All of the currency, all of the American currency has this quiet affirmation that there is a force larger than us. That even the folks who print this money understand there's some kind of relationship between our concept of the divine, our spirituality, and money. So with that, I ask you to fold the bill in half, and in quarter, and then in eighth, until it's nice, nicely and just a little small Thing that fits in the palm of your hand you can wrap your hand around it and hold that up to your heart and if you choose to do more work with me you'll learn a whole big money blessing and clearing process but for right now in this moment just sending prayers out to every person who's touched this bill before you. All those smells and germs on this bill (laughs) that they left here. And sending prayers out forward. 
maybe making a small intention right now with how you're going to spend this bill and what kind of joy, what kind of sustenance this bill is going to create in the next person's life when you pass it on and sending out that prayer. Hmm. Now taking a big deep breath and coming back to the sound of my voice, back to the fact that you're listening to a podcast, (laughs) and back to this interview where we're going to tell you so much more amazing stuff. (laughs) Oh, what I love about that, thank you, was um, the intimacy. Like, I feel like we need a more intimate economy, and that really does begin with our own intimacy with ourselves. And then um, with our relationship with money, which is amazing because it's such an ordinary thing that we use so casually every day and yet often don't pause to really appreciate it, reflect upon it. And so that's why I feel like it is such a great portal for transformation when we are able to um, come into a new relationship with money. And yes, mm-hmm. so let's let's explore what this new economy may look like and mm-hmm. um, re-envision what is possible because humans have so much more capacity than we're really accessing right now because of our economic system and the structure. Um, there is so much more potential. So tell me a little bit more yeah. about what you Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, we were talking before a little bit about the banking and, you know, in your, uh, the the little promo thing there was talking about all of the fees and how people are just losing so much of their resources that come in. Um, And, you know, I like to use a hydrology metaphor, you know, because literally we talk about cash flow and we call it currency. It has a current to it. It has a flow. Um, and so many of the structures, the financial structures that we interact with in our lives, you know, they're like asphalt and concrete that kind of pave over our families and our communities and sheet resources off, like before they even hit our wallets sometimes and direct them, you know, back into the nebulous economy, shareholders' pockets, just growing more and more of that crazy huge economy bubble. Um, and so how do we, you know, begin to break up that concrete and expose, you know, this this soil that's ready to receive resources and then create, you know, in, in permaculture we call them swales. They're earthworks where you actually terraform, you, you form your landscape in ways that can – um, slow the flow of, of water like through the landscape so it just doesn't come in one end and then right out the other. You know, think of water rolling down a hill. You want to slow the the flow and then you want to spread it. You want to spread it around. You want to make sure that all the different aspects of of your life, of your community are nourished with that, that flow. And then you want to sink it. 
You want to allow it to sink down deep so it recharges your aquifer. It, it increases the health of your soil. And again, these are metaphors. We, and I will talk about a little bit more about that in a second. But you can sink it, right, so that it's there for future generations and it recharges your aquifer and your springs so that more of this wealth stays on site like we went in permaculture we want more of our water to stay on site so we can grow more plants in our communities and our families and our personal lives we want more of our resources our time our energy and this thing we have this technology we have that represents those things this money um, to stay within our own landscape and stay within our communities and so there's so many ways that people are developing are developing solutions for this. And, you know, there are very simple things that you can do right now, especially if you're a Wells Fargo customer. I don't know if people will still be thinking about this when this airs, but, you know, they just really screwed over a bunch of their customers, like very blatantly. If they all closed their Wells Fargo's accounts and went and joined their local credit union instead for all of their personal finances. Now, if you have a business, credit unions are not the best. That's a whole other topic. But if you are just a person doing personal banking, credit unions, they're actually cooperative institutions. And when you join a credit union, you can actually be a voting member. You could decide to nominate yourself to be on the board and actually make decisions about how loans are made in your community. Um, credit unions are amazing institutions that are already on-site. That's one of the principles as well of permaculture is using on-site resources. And one of the resources we already have um, to begin to capture these resources and keep them in our communities. Another one is supporting. Look around your community and see if there are worker-owned co-ops and support those businesses. Maybe there's a bakery in your area that is a worker-owned cooperative. Um, there's all kinds of statistics about the amount of resources that worker-owned cooperatives keep in the neighborhood, in the community, versus multinational corporations. So again, supporting local businesses as opposed to big box stores. And yes, it's really hard to do that depending on where you live. Um, and looking at that, looking at where you, what the culture is like where you live. And if you don't know your neighbors, you know, um, there's right there, we talked about resiliency. Like there's a, a big weak link in the chain of resiliency. Um, so there's many neighborhood things you can do in terms of tool libraries, you know, like why did you know, not everybody on the block needs to own their own lawnmower necessarily. Like, you know, if you are somebody who is a younger person who is just getting settled, um, you know, maybe just bought your first house, um, do you own do you need to own all of these own things yourself? Or is there a tool library around where you can borrow them? Um there are um sort of higher level ways of looking at things to more systems change. Um, I talked about public banking and certainly that's one of what I um, was really excited about in terms of a trim tab solution, something that was in, in all honesty, not a very large change from the way we do things in terms of it still being banking, but just redirecting the profits and the governance 
Um, so right now, like I was saying, you know, private banks um, is where it's at for the most part. There's only one public bank in the United States. Um, in the world in general, there's more. Germany um, uses public banks, and that's, in fact, how they're financing their solar initiatives. Um, but here in the United States, there's only one. Um, but there are people agitating in all over this country to look more carefully at public banks, and you can go to the publicinstitute.org and learn about that. Um, there's also an initiative for um, postal banks to be able for people who are there's um, unbanked people, and these are people who most often get screwed over by those predatory paycheck, you know, loan places where they charge no lie, like 100% interest, like by the time so the people crazy. have paid off. Yeah. Oh my God, um, that's criminal. It is. It really is criminal. And yet at the same time, they justify by saying, well, we're taking these huge risks because people might not make good on these loans, which is true because these are people in the most precarious financial situations. And it is true. They are dealing with the people who are one paycheck away from homelessness. Um, so they might not see their money back. And, you know, there's m even larger systems perspectives on, <laughs> okay, let's talk about a basic universal dividend. Like there's, it's, we don't have a, a resource problem. We have a distribution problem. You know, we just found out about what $21 billion hidden in dark money accounts offshore. You know, like there's, there's no shortage of, of, of money. <laughs> um, I, I talked before about how the value of all those hedge funds and derivatives are nine times the GDP. You know, that's fake value. That's false value. Um, but we have real value in our communities. We have, we have the ability to grow food. We have places that are sitting fallow. We and I'm talking about houses that are sitting fallow that banks sit on when banks foreclose on a mortgage and take that house and just wait until the market is right and they can make the maximum profit. We don't have a shortage of houses necessarily. We have a distribution problem. And so looking at some of these things, and there are people agitating for a basic universal dividend because they recognize that well, we, don't, we don't need more jobs. In fact, technology, the promise of technology, is we're beginning to see it. It's, it's making jobs irrelevant in some sectors. Um, what we need is a, a better quality of life and the ability to nurture ourselves and our relationships so that we can accomplish all of these big tasks that we need to do if we're going to transition away from fossil fuels and away from climate change and actually survive on this planet in a moderately comfortable way. There's so much work to be done. There's no shortage of work to be done. But right now, so many people, are their jobs are actually creating more destruction on the planet and creating more disconnection on the planet. And yeah, so big, big, big hawk's eye view um, comes back again to the social permaculture, starting with zone zero, starting with being resilient, starting with having amazing capacity to see how these things are interconnected all around you, 
to not get overwhelmed by it. Like we just went to like big, big macro level there for a second. And I just want to acknowledge that that can be overwhelming and bring it back to that zone zero and take a big Mm. deep breath and say, wow, okay, yeah, there's a lot of work to be done. And I, and I don't need to do it all today and I don't need to do it all myself. I could start Mm. with the simple things in my life and then I can move on and begin to build the capacity to work with others in really skillful, comfortable, joyful ways to create these things. Like a tool library. I look around, I don't have a tool library in my neighborhood. Guess what? Mm-hmm. It just takes two people to decide that they're going to start a tool library. So how can we create the capacity within ourselves to not feel overwhelmed and then to feel the capacity to actually begin to build solutions in in our immediate lives. And then if you have a little bit more capacity, then, okay, you know, it's time. All right, the next ring. I just went through a huge stretch of, of, of cocoon where it was important for me to just tend to zone zero. And, and until, you know, it was like the universe was like, okay, I think you're ready. And I was like, okay, I think I'm ready. And then that opportunity with Leora showed up. But for a while now, before that, I, I was keeping it really simple and keeping it really at cultivating my own resources and my own capacities. And that, that ebb and flow and that ability to say, okay, it's, it's time for me to tap out right now and take care of myself. That's a resiliency mm. in a system, right? That that means that no one of us is so important in the system that we can't go take care of ourselves and it's all going to fall apart. <laughs> and right now we have an economic system where if, if say, the trucks stop running, right, like it all falls apart. So that's not resilient. Yeah. So that's it's a so lot. True. <laughs> I love, I mean, it's, it's such a clear um, expression of, of that interesting dance that we are all engaged with, you know, and that we are making, doing the best we can given the system we are um, dependent on in so many cases. Um, and so I, I love how you bring it back to the, the personal empowerment uh, within, um, you know, gr- within groups that really uh, amplify the individual's genius and allow for greater cooperative, collaborative, um, self-directed, self-organizing entities that are uh, able to be more agile and actually respond more quickly to changing circumstances. And uh, I, I love that. I know we're coming mm-hmm. up to the last 10 minutes or so here, so um would love to hear what you'd like to share about the work that you offer and the evolutionary feminine leadership. Yeah, yeah. Um, so as a polymath in my life, um, I have done deep dives into so many different areas, um, you know, and, and been a facilitator uh, and a leader in, in different realms, um, everything from conscious menstruation to public banking. And one of the threads through all of that has been this 
you know, okay, we're looking at this larger paradigm shift and part of that. And in some ways I'm not always comfortable these days using the word feminine. I'm just going to put that out there um, because it, you know, because the masculine is so on shaky ground right now and, and we wonder what it, what does a healthy masculine even look like? Um, and so I don't want to like vilify the masculine by saying like, by overemphasizing the positive of the feminine. And if we just look at, you know, polarity and that, you know, in our world, our 3D dimensional world works because of polarity, that there are these polarities um, and we relegate a whole side of that polarity to the feminine. And part of that is this more collective way of doing things. Um, this more soft, the, the appreciation for the soft and the vulnerable. And what's amazing is that, you know, work that I've been learning and doing through my witchy spiritual radical circles in terms of learning hard lessons around you know what leadership looks like and in its most successful form is now being evidenced in you know case studies by the Harvard Business Journal um in terms of you know what it takes to be a really agile leader in times of great transition, change, and flux. And so this is, I'm like, all right. And it, it came up at the Permaculture Convergence. This this man who spent many, many years and, uh, you know, as a CEO coach and then realized that what he was doing was, you know, helping to destroy the planet and he wanted to do something better for his grandkids um, is now, you know, teaching activists the, these these leadership skills that he once taught CEOs. And I'm looking at his presentation and I'm like, wow, you know, and he's the one who's, you know, kicking out all of this stuff about the Harvard Business Journal and this, this and that. And I'm like, these are the skills that that many of us women have been quietly cultivating in our way that we circle and in our way that we call each other into projects and collaborate Um and so I would like to share what I have learned over the years through all the various projects um, that I've been a part of um, and now having a resource of being able to reference them to what some of the best you know, evidence-based practices are according to those folks out there in the world um, who study those kinds of things. And to be able to form what I'm calling a an immersive microcosm. So it's a an experiment, a laboratory or a co-laboratory of evolutionary feminine leadership. And so I am creating at this point two offerings and I say that I'm creating them because this is this is the feminine leadership part, right? We have we we've been living with a top-down model where somebody at the top says this is the agenda this is how everything goes it doesn't matter what you show up with because you just need to fit yourself into this model that I've already created and you're just a little cog right we're turning that model on its head we're experimenting with a totally different model um, a self-governed self-directed model um, give a nod out there to holacracy and sociocracy if you all want to look that up um, 
And so it really, the offerings depend in large part on who shows up. But the theme, the container that I'm anchoring, that I'm creating, is around evolutionary feminine leadership, creating a container through work that will likely be around six to eight weeks, um, again, depending on how many people show up, so that everybody has a chance to participate in the ways that I'm envisioning. And then that leading up to a four to five day intensive in-person experience where you get access to all of the amazing embodiment work that I've been exposed to and that I've developed myself. I actually have developed an embodiment practice that folks really love. Um, and it's called Body Songs. Um, if you're local to the Bay Area, you can find me and get more information about that. Uh, so there's this right brain, left brain, you know, we'll be, and we'll be doing learning modules and learning about all these different techniques and learning about all the different ways of systems and economy and our bodies and ourselves, and then practicing, learning how to hold space for each other, learning how to hold space in an organization, how to create the space for our own genius to come through, as well as the space for other folks and really recognizing where you don't hold the piece but somebody else does and how to hold that space for their piece to come forward so that we can mine the group gold, that group collective amazing magic um, in whatever projects in our life. That's what really excites me about this is that whether a woman is a mother and doing one of the highest forms of activism by parenting or whether she is working in a nonprofit directly serving a population that she really cares about, or whether she's a farmer and she's growing food, that these skills translate to creating systems that will help in all of those situations and create more abundance um, and more joy and more effectiveness. And then the other offering is... uh, a two to three day one off event um where yeah, where we get to play in this container, again creating an immersive microcosm of evolutionary feminine leadership and learn some skills, have some fun, um ground some things into our body, some experiences, um, and just have the chance to create a portal um, into a, the kind of world that we want to create and then take back from that portal into back into the, our default world um, some amazing skills and connections and inspirations. So those are the two mm. offerings, and you can find out more information about those offerings at levyjoy.com slash invitation. I'm not on Facebook. Um, that is a conscious choice. Um, I am experimenting again with a different way of, of doing things. Um, our points of contact will, I hope, will become personal very quickly so that we can interview each other and find out if we're a good fit, um, if we really resonate. Um, and if we do, awesome. If not, you know, I bless your way to find other teachers. Um, but that is so important to me to make sure that everybody is exactly where they feel like they need to be um, very quickly um, so that we can create amazing groups 
that have the experience of, yeah, of, of finding their inner genius and expressing the most amazing form of leadership that is possible in their lives where they are right now. Oh, wow. What an amazing invitation. I, uh, I'm so happy to know that, um, yeah, you are creating this offering and, and as we've both seen in our group, working with groups, there is just incredible potential um, in the group field that we can't access alone individually. And so I really mm-hmm. encourage people who are curious or excited um, by any of this conversation to uh, reach out and uh, and talk with you more because it really is a time where we need everyone to up-level our skills, our emotional intelligence, our ability to uh, communicate and um, just really appreciate the the very wise perspective that you bring and your courage as a leader and uh, ability to really draw out the leadership uh, qualities within other people. And it's been such a pleasure to uh, hear your perspective today, and um, thank you so much for being on the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one final note is that I decided to claim the byline Ambassador of Courageous Truths a little while ago, and so that's the field that I'm inviting people into is to discover their courageous truths. All right. So, yes, thank you, Levy Joy, Ambassador of Courageous Truths. And thank you so much for sharing with us here today. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, the biggest compliment you can give us is to subscribe to the show and rate and review our podcast at iTunes. Be sure to visit www.moneymorphosis.com. That's money-m-o-r-p-h-o-s-i-s.com to join the growing community of empowered women who are dedicated to creating the true wealth they deserve.